find out what works for you to keep yourself in a good mental place where you can jump back in and just get ready to fight again and really be consistent. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, are you looking for some financing, maybe some more money to do your fix and flip projects? Are you looking to grow your fix and flip business? Well, guess what? Got a solution for you. It's Fun That Flip. You know Fun That Flip. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the show multiple times. He's a friend of mine, and they love working with the best ever listeners. They provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days that quick. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, Go to fundthatflip.com. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Brandon Krieg. How you doing, Brandon? I am doing great. My life is wonderful. Well, I'm glad to hear your life is wonderful. You will hopefully sprinkle some of that wonderfulness onto us as well. A little bit about Brandon. He is a real estate investor who specializes in fast closings and prides himself on being honest, hardworking, caring, responsive, and reliable. Does everything from fixing and flipping to wholesaling to all sorts of other tactics within that sphere. He made $37,000 on one deal that he sold in three days. He's based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. With that being said, Brandon, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So I started real estate in 2011. Prior to that, I had done a whole host of things. I was a professional musician for a while. I toured around the country, was on America's Got Talent a couple times, and a bunch of other jobs on top of that, but to want to keep it quick and to the point. So when I first started with real estate, I really just was bootstrapping everything from the ground up. So it just took a lot of grinding and I started really small and built up to where I am now. With America's Got Talent, I imagine that it's a competitive process to get to that point. Is that true? Yes or no? Well, it wasn't for us. Um, Really? Yeah, actually, it was kind of crazy. We were already a touring group. We played Vegas to Miami to Connecticut. So the producers of the show actually contacted us and said, look, all that beginning part, you can just jump right past that. We're going to stick you right in front of the celebrity main uh-huh. judges. So we were pretty fortunate in that. I know a lot of people aren't so lucky as to be able to do that. Well, then scratch my question. Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to take a different approach then. All right. So how about just so we have an idea of the type of deals that you're doing? What's the last deal you closed on? And can you get into the specifics of it? Sure. The last one was a wholesale deal. It just varies on whatever comes in on which method I decide to use with it. This one was a house that was in the redemption period for foreclosure. So this family was just in a really tough spot. And obviously the sheriff's sale had already happened. So they really needed to close on the place quickly. So what We were able to do, this wasn't a house that I wanted to take on particularly. Grand Rapids is a very hot rental market right now. It's hot everything market, frankly, for real estate. So everybody's really hungry for deals. So I wanted to wholesale this particular one. So after a lot of back and forth, it's obviously a very emotional thing when somebody's looking at a foreclosure, walking away from their house. We structured it so they'd have a really great 
package to walk away with and start their next part of their life with. Got it under contract. The next morning, I sent it out to probably 10 or 12 good investors that I know and had a check in my hand later that afternoon. So that all closed out and it was a good day. What are the numbers? The numbers on that, let's see. The house got under contract for $85,000, which depending on the amount for the property gave the sellers, I think something around 15 grand to walk away with. Mm -hmm. And then I wholesaled that for seven to somebody who was pretty happy to have it. So yeah, it was a good deal for everyone. And the back end, what they're going to get out of it, they can either rent it for anything like $1,500 a month or so. It's already in pretty good shape, so it doesn't need much rehab, probably less than 10 grand of rehab. And if they wanted to sell it as is, they're probably looking at about 115 to 120. If they really want to fix it up and hit the top of the market, more like 145, 150, something like that. I want to make sure I was writing down those numbers correctly. You got it under contract for 80 and what was the 15 and 7 part? 85 okay. uh, was what we got it under contract for. All right. The 15 was what was over and above what it took to redeem the house from the sheriff's sale. So that would be cash that the sellers would walk away with. And the 7 was the fee that I got on top of that. So we wholesaled it for 92 Okay. That gap was my cash in this deal. And then those other numbers were what the end buyer could eventually go and rent or sell it for. Okay. I'm with you. Let's talk about that $37,000 profit you made on one deal where you sold in three days. Tell us about that one. Well, I wish it was exactly 37. That was what we sold it for. So in it, we had about something like a little over 11,000. So it wasn't quite 37, but that was my first deal actually. And so when it comes to the lightning round, this is my favorite one too. This was a small condo flip. I'd been looking for a very, very long time to find something. And this was somebody who was about to lose theirs to a tax foreclosure. They hadn't paid their taxes in a couple of years at least. And by Michigan law, they were going to lose it on a Friday. So I first talked to this person on Tuesday. And to this point, I had done no deals, by the way, zero. No flips, no wholesales, no nothing. And so I talked to this person, ran the numbers, thought, okay, there is no way I can lose money on this. But at this point in my career, I had nothing, basically no money. I was bootstrapping everything. So I called up a really good friend of mine who had been a landlord at Eastern. I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time. He had a house and he said, sight unseen. Yep. I trust you. Let's do this. <laughs> so we pulled it off uh, the closing. The title company was fantastic. We were able to close in, like I said, two or three days. We closed Friday morning, got them the cash that they needed to save foreclosure and some moving money as well. We got it fixed up. The total rehab costs for that place were $4,200. So all in, we were just over eleven for our cost. And then it was only on the market for about three days and we sold it for 37 or 37.5, something like mm -hmm. that. How did you structure it with your friend in terms of profit sharing? With him, he provided the funding. I did a lot of it. We actually pitched in and worked together and then we just split the profits 50-50. Okay. What was the funding? Was it 70-30, more him, you? Oh, he did all the funding. Basically, we had good background is that I have known this guy since we were both eight years old. So that drastically helps when you're trying to put something together like this at the last mm -hmm. minute. So he had 100% funded it, both the 
purchase and the repairs. And then we walked away 50-50. And that was in 2011 when you got started? Yep, that was in 2011, maybe 12. Yeah, okay. I think 2012. I've noticed a pattern so far in two deals, and that is foreclosure. Do you still get leads through foreclosures? I do. And how do you get them? It's interesting, though. I know a lot of people that look for foreclosure lists, things like that. Really, the ones that I've found that end up working have either come through my own direct marketing or from other people that have found them and brought like networking leads that come through. And those people obviously always get a piece when something comes through that works. Of course, they get a nice chunk, but that's how I find them. So not from a bank list or anything like that, but from marketing. Mm -hmm. When someone shares an opportunity with you and they get a piece, what does that piece look like? It really depends on the deal. Say it's a little wholesale deal where in the end, I just help the buyer, help the seller, make it happen, and I make a 1000 bucks. Then I might just split it with them, something like that. If it's something where I have to put weeks and weeks of effort into it, I'll usually take a larger portion. Say something was flip deal where they bought it for me. I made 25 on the flip. But it took me two or three months to do it. Well, then in that case, maybe only 5000 for them, something like that, just due to the balance of work and time and risk involved. That is pretty, I'd say, generous of you well, to structure it that way. Yeah, that's an important thing for me. I really want to make sure that everybody wins. Everybody comes out happy. Because if you do that, you form these great relationships and everything you do in real estate becomes a whole lot easier not to mention everybody's happier. So I want to focus on how do I maximize every individual dollar for myself in a business where you really and truly can create win-win situations for everybody. Have you had one person provide you with multiple leads that closed? I have. Good friend of mine here in the area. And so we have a nice, good standing relationship. If he brings me something, this is the percentage, the chunk on that. And we go from there. Usually it's a split. If it's like an easy wholesale lead and he provides it and I end up closing it, we'll just split the profits on it. How are they finding the leads? They do a lot of different marketing things. They do a lot with search engine optimization, SEO online. And I do that as well. I also do direct mail, phone, driving for dollars. If you've heard of a method, I probably have done it <laughs> or am doing it. <laughs> but the two that have been most effective is one, you're direct marketing, which I took that as being direct mail. And then two is from other people. It could be direct mail, but I sort of lump that in with everything. That's oh, me okay. either reaching out to people that have... So with any lead generation, any deal finding method that I like to either... There's two sides of it. There's houses that will work great and there's people that need help. So different marketing methods work better depending on which set of problems you want to deal with. So I like to switch those up based on what I'm looking for at a given time. Hmm. Will you elaborate on those two categories and a tactic or two within each of the two categories? Of course. So if you are looking for, people will call it motivated sellers. I prefer to think of it as people that need help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this would be something like you have your website with a contact form. They go online and they Google search, I need to sell my house or whatever your term is. And then your site comes up, they submit their information to you and then you have it. And then you contact them and follow up. Methods like that where they reach out to you, I consider those inbound marketing. 
other methods. You could do billboards, bandit signs, TV ads or radio, depending on what your budget is. All of those will create people that come to you, typically sellers in rough situations. You then have to figure out if the house fits because the seller is typically motivated enough to make it happen. The flip side of that is more outbound marketing methods. That would be direct mail. That would be targeted lead lists, things like that, where you think, okay, I love this neighborhood. This is a great spot. It's a great rental area, or it's got wonderful appreciation potential. I want to buy a house in this neighborhood. So I'm going to send it to a lot of people knowing that their house will probably work if they agree, but I don't know if they're motivated or not. So those are sort of the two branches of marketing as I see it. And depending on what I want to do at the time, you just pick which one to focus on. How do you know which one is better to focus on? Neither one is better. They both work. It's really what kind of problems do you want to deal with? With any business, really, you're solving a problem. That's your value add. That's where your money comes from is by adding value or helping people. So you can either help people by, if you're doing the inbound marketing methods, you're dealing with people in a rough spot. Do you want to deal with those kinds of problems? <laughs> if otherwise you don't want to deal with those kinds of problems, you might have to have a ton of skill in rehabbing and getting everything perfect and timing the market and analysis. But the people will probably not be too much of a problem if you're focusing on a specific neighborhood. Mm. With the two options, or well, I guess they are options because you said you make a conscious effort to decide which one to focus on. With those two, one, people who need help. I love how you said it's not motivated sellers, people who need help. Great shift in mindset. And then two, more outbound. What is the number one tactic for getting leads in each of those for you personally? Uh, for me personally, the number one tactic for inbound marketing is my website because I've tried to spend a years really building it up. So it ranks well, is very helpful. It's an informative source for people. So that's become really a self-rolling machine for lead generation. The flip side of that is you can't build that overnight. <laughs> it takes a lot of time and effort and writing and engagement and all kinds of things to make that happen. So it's not a quick fix. But for me, it's the website. And then for outbound, it's still direct mail. I think direct mail, you find a lot of tire kickers, but it's still a great source, even in today's modern day and age of emails. How many are you sending out? I'm not doing any direct mail campaign right now. I'm focused more on inbound based on my market and what I want to deal with right now. Seems to be more of a need here. But when I do, it's anywhere from, say, 600 a month to 4,000 a month, depending on which markets I'm targeting and how likely I think I am to get a response. If you're less likely to get a response, you need to send more to keep your pipeline full. What services do you use to help with that process? I use a mail house. There's some wonderful people. I can include some links in the show information down in Texas. A guy named Jerry Puckett runs a direct mail service, and he's the one that I use. There's a lot of great ones. Yellowletters.com, I've heard great things. Michael Corliss is another great resource that I know a lot of people use. So I use a, a full-service mail house. And how much does it cost? It depends on how much of the work you want to do yourself. If you want it to just be not in your hands at all, 
anywhere from a dollar to a dollar fifty per letter, and that's with you never touching it. If you want to do more, just have them ship it to you, and then you can mail it off. It's less, something like uh, say forty to seventy cents, depending. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? For somebody like me who does all these different things and really started by just grinding through, by bootstrapping it through, rather than offer technical advice, because it's not good real estate advice, it's the best advice. That's what we're shooting for, for our best ever listeners, is that we really need to focus on getting your mind right and keeping it right through really tough times. A lot of people are in a really great situation when they start. Maybe they have a really good job that they can pull income from, or they have a lot of experience or a good reserve base. I didn't have any of those things when I got started. I'm sure you've seen a hundred of them, people in your online forums or local networking groups that say, I have desire and a little time. And you're like, well, good luck. You know, that was me, (laughs) you know, when I first started. It's brutal. So it probably took me eight months to get my first property under contract, almost a year to actually buy that first condo. So for me, that mindset at that point, and even now, six years into it, is incredibly important for keeping myself strong and able to look for deals even after, say, something turns south or a deal goes bad. So it's find out what works for you to keep yourself in a good mental place where you can jump back in and just get ready to fight again and really be persistent. How do you keep sharp from a psychology standpoint? It's a lot. I read so much of this stuff that I forget who I apologize. I'm misattributing some of these quotes. I think it was Zig Ziglar said something like, motivation is like bathing. It's not something you can just do once and then be done with it. (laughs) It's something you should do every day. So part of it is it's little things like I try to not bury myself in the 24 hour news networks, even though I was a political science and history major. And I love that stuff because so much of it is so negative. You want to be around positive people. You want to have positive health habits. You want to try to get up early, read good books, All of these things on a little daily basis, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, make a huge difference in how you feel. Also, good breathing, meditation. I know some of the stuff sounds pretty new agey, and I bet half of the best ever listeners are rolling their eyes. But at the same time, it does help keep you calm in what can be sometimes a very tough industry to stay calm in. Yes, especially when you're on the front lines with uh, people who need help. They're getting their places foreclosed on and you're experiencing a bit of what they are experiencing because you have to empathize with them along the way. Absolutely. That's what draws you in to do this kind of a business is that desire. But at the same time, it can just bury you (laughs) with emotion if you tend to be empathetic and sympathetic for people. So keeping yourself in a good spot is very, very important. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. All right. Well, we will absolutely do it. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with bestselling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book, 
on negotiating real estate. I've read the book, lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Best ever book you've read. Keeping in line with the keeping your mind right theme here, I'm going to go with The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. It is not real estate specific, but has been a good helper to me and one I've reread many times. Best ever deal you've done that you haven't mentioned already? That I haven't mentioned already? Yep. Uh, I, saw, I saw old, it coming. There was a 100-year-old house, a total mess in a neighborhood that was up and coming. Loved it simply because it was such a challenge. I, I learned so much from it. We ended up making a little bit from it, not a ton, but just the challenge of diving into a house that's 120 years old and turning it from a dump into something fantastic. And seeing how appreciative all the neighbors are when you do a flip like that is wonderful. So that's probably mm-hmm. my next favorite one. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Most of my mistakes come from when I back off too much in a given deal. So because I care more than anybody else most of the time, I will happily pass something off, maybe pass it off to a realtor I haven't worked with before or another investor to close something and just make sure everything's good with the title company. My advice for the best ever listeners to learn from is don't do that. (laughs) Mind your own business. It is your business. Take care of it. Watch it. Monitor it. If you have to be the squeaky mouse to get the cheese, so be it. But really make sure all the details are happening at the speed they need to, that you're getting the quality of service. And this is if you're working with realtors, contractors, other investors, sellers, anybody. Just be on top of it because you can make or lose deals in a heartbeat if you're not being careful. Best ever way you like to give back? I like to be involved in the local community here in West Michigan. I run a networking group here. I'm part of the board of directors for the Rental Property Owners Association. I meet people for coffee, no matter if they've done a thousand deals or are just getting started, just to try to do whatever I can to help them a little further down the road. You mentioned earlier the number one source for the people who need help is your website, and you've grown it, SEO, um, or you've increased the search rankings. How did you learn that or did you pay someone to do it? I did it all myself. One of my many jobs before this was in tech. So I have some ability in website creation. So I did it myself and mostly by hook or by crook, trial and error. I would build it. I read some different sources, really probably five or 10 different books, several different blogs, and just synthesized it myself into what to do. But if I were to synthesize it for the listeners, it's just offer value on your site. Don't just be somebody who's there, flash bang, get it all fluff and no filter. Really provide value for people. And then the dividends will come back to you multiplied. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? My website is probably the best place. It's the 
honeybeehomes.com. Make sure the the is in front of it. And drop me a line, shoot me an email, give me a call, all that good stuff. I love it. Excellent. And that will be in the show notes page, thehoneybeehomes.com. Brandon, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about your experiences as a real estate investor since 2011. And some things that stood out to me, one was how you don't call them motivated sellers, but rather people who need help. It's different mentality, and it's just a slight shift in the phrasing, but I suspect that shift, it has a large ripple effect once you think of it as people who need help versus motivated sellers. I suspect it tends to be a more win-win approach when you approach it that way than you taking something from someone Two is the mail house that you use with Jerry Puckett to do your direct mail and then your overall approach, the inbound and outbound, as well as some of the case studies that we talked through, like the first deal that you did and a couple others. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.